Hi friends, just wanted to do a uh, another, another bonus episode because it's Halloween, so I thought we'd do a spooky game. This is the house, or this is Stories Untold, and we're going to play episode one, The House Abandoned. I got it for $2.50 on Steam, so I figured that's a reasonable amount of uh, money to spend on a goofy bonus game. The um, This is some sort of compilation of, I guess, four different games or something. Uh, the the Steam game profile is not super descriptive. Apparently we can press pause, or press escape to pause. Evolver Digital presents a no-code production. Alexa Traverse Helia. Traverse, Traverse Healy. Alexia Traverse Healy. Richie Campbell. We're seeing a bunch of recording equipment flying through the air. John McKellen. Flying through the air dramatically in a slow motion fashion. In. Stories untold. And it's got like a red font, like a Stranger Things type of font. Written and directed by John McClellan. Oh, there was another credit I forgot to read, but. You know, you can read the credits of this game. Alright. <clears throat> This game apparently takes on multiple styles, so I'm not entirely sure what's about to happen. That really sounds bad. Okay, whew. you pull up to the driveway of the family holiday home and park the car. It's dark, but it's as idyllic as you remember from all that time ago. You remember being told to look in the glove box before going in. It's good to be back. So it looks like um, on an old CRT with like predefined buttons for each channel, 1 through 12, and then a power button. Um, there's On this, there's a, there's a TV, and I can like... Yeah, yeah, okay, so I can type, and then it types into, I guess this is like a Commodore 64 or similar, like a computer that plugs straight into the TV, um, and it looks like it's playing off of a cassette, perhaps, or maybe the cassette is extended storage. So I'm I'm playing a text adventure game with a fancy, like, I can move around the mouse to sort of change my 3D person's uh, head orientation by just the mildest amount, but I'm essentially playing a text adventure game. Um, open glove box. Inside is a key and a handwritten note from dad. You take both. Read note. The note is from your dad and reads, hi son, hope you enjoy your break. You'll need to fire up the generator on back to get power and lights on. Also found something in the attic for you. It's your room. Enjoy. Um, okay, so this is the same description. Get out. Oh, I can't. While it's printing the description, I cannot type ahead. Get out. You open the car door and step out. The house is grand, set perfectingly amongst the trees. Set perfectly amongst the trees. In front of you is the front door, and the yard stretches around the side of the house. Go around. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Uh, around? No, okay, uh, yard. Go yard. You take a walk around to the yard. The yard has been well maintained. You spent a lot of time here with your family on holiday trips. Good memories. Uh, 
go back. You walk back around to front of the house. Oh no, that's not what I wanted. I'm supposed to go read note. I'm supposed to read the... Alright. Read note. The note is from your dad and reads, uh, You'll need to fire the generator around back to get power and lights on. Also found something in the attic for you. It's your room. Okay. Uh, go press enter to continue. Uh, it has to print out the description every single time, and it has to make me wait while it prints out the description. This is a good formula for a text adventure game. Uh, if I type inv inventory held items. Friends, this is not going well. Um, I'm trying inv inventory held none of these. It's It doesn't understand any of these. Um, I do like, I like a part of this interface that I think more text adventures ideally should adopt, which is um, there's the room description above and then below there's a smaller space. And every time that I type something that it doesn't know how to handle, it doesn't change the main room description area. It just changes the bottom section and it says, I'm sorry, I don't understand. And I think that whoever designed this interface really tapped into how text adventures work, where you're going to type 50 million things that the uh, game doesn't understand and has no idea. And it's just going to keep telling you it doesn't know what to do over and over. Um, and so like, just keep that in a little tiny scrolling buffer at the bottom without affecting the, the player's main understanding of the area. That's, that's a good user interface design. Uh, so you take a walk around to the yard. The yard has been well maintained. You spend a lot of time here with your family on holiday trips. Good memories. If I type generator, it doesn't uh, go out back. You walk back around to the front of the house. Nope, that's not where I can't turn on the generator this way. Open door. The door appears to be locked. You will need to use a key. Unlock door. You insert the key and turn. The door lock clicks open. Open door. You step inside the front door. This is... Hmm. Enter the house to the hallway. It's dark and you can't see anything. You feel a light switch next to the door, however. Oh, go outside. Well, switch. Uh, turn on switch. I don't know what you're trying to use. Light switch. A click and nothing. There is no power. The note should say how to restore it. Yeah. If I say go out back, you step outside the front door. Yeah, so if the word back is in a sentence, it understands that I want to go to the previous room, but it doesn't mean that I want to go to the backyard. Um... Okay, yard. If I just type yard, go yard. You take a walk around to the yard. Uh, turn on generator. I don't know what you're trying to use. Uh, read note. It says there's a generator. You'll need to fire up the generator around back to get power and lights on. Also, found something in the attic for you. 
All right, friends. I'm already getting sick of this, so we're gonna look up stories untold walkthrough because this is already stupid. Um, stories untold episode one. Open glove box. Get out of the car. Go around. Okay, I'm supposed to look around. I'm not even. Oh, press enter to continue. Um, you see a generator on the back walk of the house. What the hell kind of game? I hate this game. I'm not. I'm no longer spooked by this game. I'm just angry at this game. Uh, and then I want to use. I'm gonna type turn on generator. You switch the generator on, and it whirs to life. The house is still dark. Okay. Go front. You walk around to the front of the house. Uh, okay. Go inside. You step inside the front door. You enter the house to the hallway. It's dark and you can't see anything. You feel a light switch next to the door, however. Uh, use switch. You flick the switch on and the lights come on. But I'd already flicked the switch on and you didn't save that state. Come on. The hall is now brilliantly lit. There's access to the kitchen and living room here, as well as a set of stairs going up. Okay. Go kitchen. You walk into the kitchen. The kitchen is tidy and well kept. There is a door to a utility room, but otherwise it's just a kitchen. Alright. Uh, back. Go back. Go back out to the hallway. The hallway is now brilliantly lit. There's access to the kitchen and living room here, as well as a set of stairs going up. Uh, up. Go up. Come on. Okay, you walk upstairs to the landing. The stairwell landing. There is a bathroom and two bedrooms. Yours and your sister's. Pictures adorn walls. Images of happy times. Um, go bedroom. Which bedroom? Your room or your sister's? Mine. Go my bedroom. You walk into your old room. Your old bedroom. So many good memories in here. And it's been preserved so well. On the desk is a gift-wrapped box. Open box. You unwrap the gift excitedly. You can't believe it. Dad has found your old computer. A Futro 128K plus 2. It's been preserved well in the attic and hopefully still works. Your old bedroom, so many good memories in here, and it's been preserved so well. On your desk is a Futuro 128K plus 2 computer and a copy of The House Abandoned. It's all still to be set up, though. Set up computer. You start to plug in the various cables and leads. The computer is all set up and ready to go. There's a game here, too. Oh, I'm playing the game! Uh, play game. Oh, I have to type. I thought it, it said it has an ellipsis like it was going to print more and that never put anything. You put the cassette in the computer. Oh, no! It broke! Ah! Oh, my gosh. So the outer interface, there was like a power surge. And then lightning. Ah, no, it's, it's, it's rebooting, but it's rebooting upside down. And the words get out are printed all over the screen. 
It's like the normal printout, but for temporarily, it said, get out, get out, get out, get out. Whew! Okay. That was, that was a good... They genuinely got me there. Okay, but I, I still can't click around, like, to, to leave... Oop, that leaves the, the whole game. Uh... Okay, that... It says you can't stand to be near this place. Did it say that the first time? Open glove box. Inside is a key and a handwritten note from Dad. You take both. Read note. You don't recognize the handwriting. It says, get out, 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 get out. Get out the car, get out, get out. Uh, get out. Oh, press enter to continue. Get out. Come on. It's not spooky if I if you have to let me type. Okay. Having to wait to type in the command makes it less spooky. You force the warped car door open and fall out. The house looks abandoned. There is a yard to the side. Wood creaks in the wind and all happy memories are gone from this place. There is no love here. All right. Um go yard. You step through the debris to the backyard. Look. The grass is overgrown and weeds crawl up the side of the house. It's not a nice place to be. You clutch the note, needing to look around. There's an old generator next to you. Use generator. There isn't much fuel, but the generator starts up. Oh, okay, and now the lights in the room interface that I'm using have also come back on. Okay, uh, go yard. Uh, back. No, go back. You go back to the front of the house. Open it. Now I need to let it type out the words. This is not good. Oh no, the, the lamp is fading. Uh, unlock door. You unlock the door. The click of the lock hurts to hear. Open door. You reluctantly step inside the front house. Oh no, and then I heard a sound effect. Pitch black, but your senses are punished more by the smell. Stale air and damp. This could not be less inviting. The note burns in your hands. You feel compelled to read it over and over. I'm going to read the note. It's too dark to read, but it feels weird to the touch. Uh-oh, it's made of human skin or something, I bet. Uh, use switch. There's got to be a light switch. Afraid of what you might see, you flick the light switch. The lights flicker on and off. The walls are falling apart after years of neglect or worse. There are stains and trails. Oh no! The alarm's going off. Upstairs, the sound of alarm clock blaring. Someone else is in the house. This can't be. If I, can I click on it? I can't click on the alarm to stop it. Go upstairs. Make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. Make it, I'm feeling it. And the clock actually says stop on it. Go upstairs. Make it... Okay, if I type in make it stop... Okay, fine. I'm going to read notes. Go outside. Stop. Yeah, now I just... Alright. That was exciting, but I can't stand that sound anymore. So, that was a cool episode, friends. Um, and... Oh, boy. I give that game um, a 1 out of 5. Uh, it had a pretty bad 
text interface that reduced the amount of spookiness by, mating, by making me wait to type in each new command. I couldn't frantically type in a command. Um, and the fact that there were horrible noises in a text adventure game is just really unforgivable because text adventure games are supposed to um, be easy on the ears, preferably silent. But if you're going to have sound effects or maybe music, it should be soft and easy to listen to. It should not be horrible alarm clocks. Um, I would like to note that the the in the design where like I'm a person who goes to a home and then there's like a thing that that wigs out and then it resets the game and suddenly like I'm an intruder in my own home or like I'm playing a ghost that's an intruder in someone else's home. It, that seemed like it could have gone somewhere. And uh, that combined with the cool bit where they knew that you were going to type in nonsense so much that they put in like a little extra buffer that would not redisplay the room description or move it around uh, every time you typed in a wrong command. Those two things combined give it one point, um, but otherwise uh, the rest of it was just a total fall on face failure. I think the fact that um, I was typing in sort of pretty normal commands that you would use in like a, a standard Z machine game generally, like something you'd get made with Inform or like an old Infocom game or something like that. And then it didn't recognize those things meant that 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 was kind of alienating, but not in like a spooky way in more like just an annoying way. So they should have gotten the parser better. And also the fact that I went out back as told to me by a note provided by the game, and then I couldn't see the generator. I had to type. I had to know to type in "look around," and then, and then it would tell me about the generator for me to be able to use. And then I tr I tried like turn on generator before I had properly looked. I was just assuming like oh there's a generator here, but it hadn't told me about it. Um, and there actually was a generator, but I just couldn't use it until I'd specifically looked around to find it. That was a really, really bad moment. And whoever crafted that moment of player experience should be ashamed of themselves as a game designer. And they should just like go back to the drawing board and just really examine their life. Because what are you doing? Um, so we have some extra time here. And you know, like I theoretically could return that game on Steam. I've only played it for 20 minutes, but you know, I only paid 250 for it and I did get one jump scare. So, we're going to call that a fair exchange. If I had paid more than the the sale price, I would I would be returning that right now, but it's not so bad I need to return it for a measly $2. That's not even one fancy Dutch Bros coffee. Is Dutch Bros a place that you have in wherever you live, friends? Dutch Bros uh, in, a, in the Western US is a, like a Starbucks top type place. They do fancy coffees and they do energy drinks and stuff. Um, we're gonna type in spoofy, spooky fan fiction. And uh, we're going to, yeah.
Uh, so on the recording, it looks like we're at about 20 minutes right now. And I want to naturally give you the full hour of content. So um, I think, let me just double check. I believe that the Pikmin episode, the Pikmin episode is out today and it's got nine downloads. So nine people know what's about to happen. Um, ooh, this is uh, wattpad.com slash story slash nine, two, four, five, seven, two, seven, eight, dash apartment, dash two, three, nine. I don't, oh my gosh, get, get out of here. Go, close away. There was like a pop-up about how this, oh, this is, is this a paid story that I can only read if I've, Oh no, I can read the, the opening bits of it. Okay, so this is called Apartment 239. Uh, Abe Barrett is surrounded by ghosts. Some of them are even his roommates, but now Abe's visions show something dark coming and wants Abe dead. Not Abe's visions and wants Abe dead. That's not Want should be singular, right? In, in the Abe's visions want Abe dead is how you'd say that sentence if the if the connecting bit wasn't in there. Um. Oh, and it wants Abe dead. I guess okay. So the something dark coming wants Abe dead. I follow now. That was not an error on the office part. It was just an error on my reading part. That happens from time to time. Prologue: Father and son. Uh, now, son, Earl said, as he ejected the spent round from his rifle, the casing dropped with a slight crinkling sound as it disappeared beneath the leaves. Always remember, nothing goes to waste. The setting sun cast long shadows from the line of trees that stretched across the field in front of their home. This side of seven years old, the boy looked at his father, assessing the deep lines in his face and the sideburns peppered with white and gray. Earl's red plaid coat hung loose on his thin yet muscular arms. The boy, short for his age, felt even smaller next to him, and his shock of thick black hair bounced as he nodded, wiped snot from his nose, and desperately tried to blink the tears from his eyes. Hoping his father didn't notice, he glanced up and watched as he pulled off his hat, wiped his brow, then pulled back into his pulled it back onto his head. I know it seems cruel, but son. Sometimes life doesn't make sense, and sometimes, well, it's just not fair. Earl propped the gun against the side of the small white house, located off a dirt path on the outskirts of a small North Texas town called Marble Springs, a place surrounded by trees cut off from the hum of passing cars. Clothes are a big one. Save what you can. Also, the cash in the wallet. Never use the cards. Always hide the body, and never in the same place or the same way. The boy nodded, looking at the woman at their feet. Her leg jerked for a moment, causing him to gasp. Just nerves, Earl laughed. Remember, in this world, we're surrounded by copies. Copies? Yes, Earl said solemnly, removing his ball cap again. You're real, and so am I. Your mother, he waved the cap at her. She fooled us. The boy looked down at her body, her eyes half open, blood trickling down the corner of her mouth. They'll pretend to be your friends, but you'll have to know who's real and who isn't. How? The boy squeaked. I'll teach you, Earl smiled. Whoa! It's already a murder! 
and and the the dad is part of a conspiracy theory. Oh, I'm sorry. I should say that this is by a person named uh, Elford Alley. E L F O R D A L L E Y. So thanks, Elford Alley, for giving us a great prologue already. Um, I think there's like four or five free chapters in this story. So we're just going to read this, and um, I'm I'm intrigued. Abe Barrett worked for the city of Marble Springs, a small community recently hit hard by an economic downturn. Scarce jobs became scarcer, and Hart and Sons liquor and liquor enjoyed record levels of business. To ease budget woes, the past mayor turned over city work, including Abe's, to a subsidiary of Hart and Sons, Inc. Like everyone else in the city, he struggled, but things could be worse. Wow. Two more than yesterday. Driving home, Abe admired two more roadside billboards put up by grieving families looking for missing kin. Along with a flatlined economy, Marble Springs has a problem with mysterious disappearances. While the town has neither a natural spring nor a supply of valuable marble quarries, Marble Springs boasts a surprising number of missing persons cases. For a population hovering around 38,000, nearly 100 people have simply disappeared since 1977. At least he had smiling faces to look at on the drive home. They always chose smiling pictures for the billboards. As a member of the city's, now Hart and Sons, park department, Abe worked with a team of dedicate, team dedicated to maintaining the high standard of excellence the parks department demanded, meaning he kept the grass cut and trash free. At least the repeal of Mayor John G. Bentington's Make Business Spring and Marble Springs initiative allowed him to enjoy the option of health insurance again, even if Hart and Sons wasn't too keen on things like living wages and overtime. His shirts stuck to his back via layers of sweat and mulched grass. Abe cranked the AC on his 1989 Honda Civic. Despite being well into October, the heat still bore down on the park maintenance crew with no sign of mercy or respect for changing seasons. Abe discarded his hat, stained with a line of pale salt deposits from months of sweat, onto the floorboard. He was finally heading home for the day. Abe turned into Camelot Apartments, a cluster of buildings in a faux castle design hidden behind a growth of pine trees, and as the car creaked over the concrete speed bumps, he glanced over at the complex's newest addition, an overweight man in his mid-fifties, perpetually naked with nothing more than a bath towel covering his shame. Abe waved at Mr. John G. Bentington. Now that's a shame. The former mayor returned his wave enthusiastically. During the second year of his first term, Mayor Bentington decided to save the town by cutting taxes and unnecessary services, followed by necessary services, followed again by all services. His efforts were rewarded with a ball-peen hammer to the back of the head. The mayor often took evening strolls through the rougher neighborhoods on the east side of Maples Marble Springs to show the economy economically vulnerable. He cared enough to speedwalks along the crumbling asphalt roads. It was here that hammer met head. Fortunately, the mayor's attack did not kill him. Short a wallet and functional short-term memory, Mayor Bennington continued to preside over his community. Unfortunately, the swelling in his brain led to a wave of nonsensical disorders, refusal to acknowledge the proper dress code, and no improvement in the latest rash of disappearances. He now lived around the corner from Abe. This is a lot less spooky and a lot more just depressing. Alfred Alley, I want to rescind my earlier thanks to you. I am no longer as thankful. Abe took a right at the dumpsters and swerved into a spot just in front of Building 2. 
He looked up at apartment number 239, with the gnarled pelican tree leaning over the roof, bombarding the building in a nightly rain of nuts, twigs, and clumsy squirrels. He turned the key and the engine breathed a final halting gasp, jammed the keys into his pockets. He pulled himself from the rust and sky blue car and slammed the door. Running his hand along the metal railing, he ascended the stairs. The anxiety started to seep in. Abe Barnett had no roommates, on paper at least, but... Though his current, through his current squatters, he learned plenty about the multitude of missing people in Marble Springs. He knew the common explanations, such as UFOs or the monsters in Town Lake. He knew the media rarely paid any attention, especially with the 10th anniversary... 10th anniversary... Oh, it says 10th anniversary, but there's no space. So, especially with the 10th anniversary of the 726 on the horizon. He knew the police typically shrugged and said, maybe they left and moved to ba Dallas. When confronted with the growing tally of vanished citizens, there were theories as to why no one outside the town or within it seemed concerned. One involved the 726 children that disappeared in one night. Oh, that's the, the 726. This is supposed to be a number, not, not an ID. The 726 children that disappeared in one night from across the United States. The theory was this great unsolved horror 10 years prior simply made Marble Springs' tragedy seem small. But his roomies had a simpler, more disturbing explanation. A serial killer, operating in an economically depressed town populated with people without the means to donate to campaigns or start businesses. People whom, as far as the town's leaders were concerned, never really existed to begin with. So who would notice if they went missing? Abe's roommates made a lot of sense. He hated to admit. But the reasons he feared entering his apartment was because he'd ignored his roommates' requests. As a result, they had stepped up their campaigns of terror. Would it be greeted with bleeding walls or possibly eyeless wraiths and mournful shrieks? Abe took a breath and opened the door. So, like, he doesn't know if it's a serial killer or not. But definitely ghosts are real. And they can make his walls bleed. I don't... I don't know, Alfred Alley. I don't know. Chapter 2. With barely a graze of his hand, the door slowly opened wide with a screech. Now this often happened in the summer, which typically lasted from March until mid-November. During the cold of winter, however, Abe usually had to throw his shoulder into the door to open it. Knowing this did little to ease Abe's nerves. The place was cool, bordering on frigid, nothing unusual yet. A faint giggle of a child drifted to his ears. Come on, guys, Abe said, throwing his hands. Do we have to play this? Abe turned close to the door, only to see a spindly figure in the doorway with translucent flesh and a thin dusting of long, unkempt hair. The being opened his, his mouth wide, gaping and shrieking. Abe fell to the ground and screamed. The door slammed, and the figure dropped to the ground, doubling over and laughing. Abe pulled himself up and watched the figure blur and return to a familiar form. Still tall, but now clad in an old NBA jersey, the name on the back long washed away, the figure appeared as a normal albeit translucent, normal, albeit translucent, okay, a normal, albeit translucent person. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but admit it, he said, I got you. Fuck off, Michael, Abe said. Whoa. Uh, Michael was pale, his hair eternally bleached at the tips. Michael, liked Abe's other roommate, Michael, like Abe's other roommates, was dead. A woman stepped into the living room through the wall. She appeared to be in her early 30s, wearing a matching gray pantsuit and cropped hair, a trail of blood on her lip. Hey, can you keep it down? I'm trying to watch my stories. No, you're not, Michael said. You're trying to watch the couple in 237 wail on each other. Yes, exactly, she said, throwing her hands up in the air. 
Shirley just smashed Kyle's cell so he can't call the cops. We're definitely getting to some dark places tonight. So keep it down. Abe gave a half-hearted wave and sat down um, back on the floor. Hello, Diane. We'll talk later, she said through clenched teeth. Good to see you too, Abe said as she faded once more into the wall. The first time Abe met his roommates, he was unpacking a box of plates in the kitchen. The apartment was cluttered with boxes, but actually felt homier than it did now. Currently, the place offered visitors a prison-like or possibly asylum-esque aesthetic with a single living room poster advertising the town's annual ice cream social and Civil War reenactment. Do they do that in Texas? I guess they do. Texas was sort of, I mean, they were involved in the Civil War. Whatever. Um, a faded blue couch covered in hair from the previous owner's cat and a TV sitting atop an entertainment center with peeling wood grain contact paper. A tingling sensation traveled through the length of his spine like an insect racing along his backbone as Abe put down the plate he'd just unwrapped from newspaper. He glanced to his right where he saw a young woman with dark hair and deep-set laugh lines. It was Caitlin. Thinking back, Abe wasn't sure he'd ever heard her laugh. Maybe chuckle once, a light snicker or two typically, un at Abe's expense, but no laughter. She wasn't thinking a horrible, she wasn't taking a horrible form or trying to scare him, but between the translucent quality of her skin and the depression in the back of her head forever pooling with blood, Abe felt true fear in the form of something warm running down his leg. Actually, Abe did hear Caitlin laugh once. I'm sorry, Caitlin. Why do I want to read Caitlin? Oh, because Caitlin's a character in a, in a book I like called Consider Phlebas, which we'll talk about at some other point. Although, not sure how long he spent on the floor screaming while Michael, Diane, and Caitlin stood over him, he still remembered pieces of their conversation. Michael was thrilled someone could finally see them. Diane lamented that the someone was an overweight man in his mid-thirties with the scream of a twelve-year-old girl, while Caitlin simply waved her hands around and yelled, Ghosts! We're ghosts! Since then, Abe had become harder, but not impossible to scare. Your heart slowed down yet, Michael asked. Not today, okay, Abe said, removing his work shirt. Caitlin said you can't strip in the living room. She says we've suffered enough. This isn't Caitlin's apartment, Abe said. Besides, I'm not in the mood today. What's today? Her birthday, Abe said. Neither spoke for several seconds. Apparently being dead didn't automatically make you better at dealing with death. Sorry to hear about that, Michael said with a shrug. It's fine, Abe said, forcing a smile. I might just lay down, you know? Yeah, that's good. Hey, before you go, would you mind, Michael said with a slight lilt on the last word. Michael, Abe, rested his hands on his hips. Abe, Michael imitated him. I'm going to bed, Abe said. Michael followed him, reminding him in a childish whine that the sun was still out and the request could be fulfilled in seconds. A few days Abe after, after Abe completed his initial piss-filled meltdown upon meeting his new roommates, he laid down a few ground rules. The first, no requests. Not telling the family they were okay. The second rule, no revenge. The third and final rule, no solving crimes. This created a tense atmosphere in apartment 239. Just a few seconds. What could it hurt? Fine, but I'm not stealing internet just so I can Google shit for you guys all day. Abe sat on the couch and pulled his laptop out from under it. No, Michael stood watching him. You're stealing it to masturbate to girl on girl porn. Caitlin told me. Full disclosure, we've been watching you. It's almost mesmerizing. Abe did the rounds checking out every one of Michael's acquaintances' blogs. Every social networking site he ever had an account on, every corner of the web where people exchange inane chatter and engage in petty flame wars, nothing. Michael shook his head. Has it been that long? Sorry, Abe closed the laptop, stood up, and returned to its, sp its space under the couch. See you later. Who keeps a laptop under the couch? Yeah, Michael said before vanishing. 
Abe didn't mind a small favor or two. Michael and Diane seemed to accept his ground rules. Michael only asked for a weekly social media scan, while Diane wanted Abe to help her enjoy the little things vicariously, such as food. Describe it, Diane would say. Um, it's just a pot pie, Abe would reply. I don't care. Describe it, she would say through gritted teeth, her eyes taking on a red glow. Fine. It has a rough texture. There are carrots. Salt it, Diane would say. What? Salt it! Abe would reach for the salt shaker and gingerly cut his food. Fuck yeah, salt it. Ooh, grab the pepper. Only Caitlin refused to accept any little favors, gliding from the room whenever Abe searched for reminders of Michael online or described the weather or food to Diane. Abe retired to his bedroom, a continuation of his I'm serving five to ten interior aesthetic. The room contained exactly three pieces of furniture, a bed, a TV tray acting as a nightstand, and a dresser. The dresser was empty. The contents were spread across the floor and rarely washed or deposited back into the drawers. The bed was actually from the spare room of his previous place, a three-bedroom brick home just north of the Marble Springs city limits. Neither the end of a small cul-de-sac, his old home offered everything... Near the end of a small cul-de-sac. Oh my gosh, I keep making so many errors. Near the end of a small cul-de-sac, his old home offered everything a middle-class family could want. Quiet streets, manicured lawns, and neighbors you have to assume are friendly because you've never once spoken to them. Abe missed his home. Not the building, but the people who lived inside. Cliché, but there you have it. After the accident, the house changed. The quiet became oppressive. Every scuff on the hardwood, every stain on the carpet, a reminder of what was lost and what was never coming back. Abe went back once after taking this apartment and shortly after meeting his roommates. He figured if he could see them, what if he could see Rebecca or Gus? What if they were still there? The realtor's sign was still standing on the tall grass in the front lawn. Hart and Sons Realty. Abe knew the code and knew the realtor was too lazy to have changed it. He let himself in and when he shut the door behind him, the blinds bounced off the door and the sound carried into the empty living room. The only thing that greeted him was silence. Oppressive, blaring silence. He stayed there for six hours, leaving just after sunset. He called out their names, opened every cabinet, threw open every closed closet door. Even after meeting Diane, Michael, and Caitlin, it was only standing in the empty house that Abe ever felt truly haunted. An empty house he used to call home. Prior to setting down his ground rules, Abe decided to bring his ghost friends there. Maybe they could see them if he couldn't, but they saw nothing. Planning the funeral was rough, particularly because Abe was out of his mind with grief, literally. For his son, he planned what was essentially a birthday party. Everyone would wear hats. There would be cake. The funeral director finally stepped in when Abe was actually checking bounce house rentals on his phone. I apologize for the wait, Celius Reston said, slipping into the office where Abe was sitting. He was a tall, gaunt man. His hair was white, but his skin was perpetually flushed. His eyes were like tiny dark orbs in the middle of his face. You recently dismissed our appearance, our apprentice in Balmer, so I'm wearing multiple hats at the moment. Abe actually met the funeral director's former apprentice that day after his mother died. He checked on Rebecca and Gus while Abe signed papers and selected a casket. He later offered his condolences to Abe, patting him on the back and calling him Buddy, like he was an old friend. Mr. Barris, Ciliat wheezed, standing at the side of his desk. Different people deal with grief in different ways, I know. I've been doing this a long time. Uh, then how am I doing? Abe asked, barely concealing his impatience. Since he learned of the death of his wife and son, Abe had been struggling with an urge to hurt someone, a longing to inflict pain that he had never experienced before. You're losing your damn mind, son, Celia smiled. He placed a hand on Abe's shoulder, giving a slight squeeze. Go home. I don't usually do this, but why don't you let me take this one? You remember your mother's service? Yes, Abe's voice was a whisper. It was nice. 
Nadab's mother departed this world two years prior, drained of life by a vampire in the form of a malignant tumor, leaving behind a waste shell whose last meal was administered by a hospice nurse, a dose of morphine and a sponge soaked with water. Silias roused Abe from his fog. I knew Rebecca. I knew her family. You're a boy, very bright from what I heard. Abe nodded, training his eyes on the carpet as the tears blurred his vision. We have the clothes. We have the date. I'll call you if I need anything. Silias leaned, led Abe to the door, never removing his hand from Abe's shoulder. Mr. Reston suddenly became a tall, elderly bouncer, escorting Abe from Reston Hart, a new acquisition of Hart and Sons Liquor and Liquor. Abe didn't want to go home, of course, so he went to the mall, and an hour later found himself in the back of a police car after assaulting the cashier at a pretzel stand. The funeral is beautiful. Flowers. Mounds of flowers. Wonderful words. Abe declined to speak. The bill was substantial, and soon thereafter Abe found himself looking for a new home. Believe it or not, the stucco and plastered castle theme wasn't what drew him to Camelot. No, it was the rent. Cheap. Unbelievably cheap. Really, Camelot had made the national news following the epic explosion of a meth lab in apartment 426. The official report said that only two people died in the fire, but the residents claimed the toll had to be higher since many of the people in the surrounding incinerated apartments were never heard from again. The police disputed this claim. For all we know, the police spokeswoman said, his forehead coated in a sheen of sweat in front of the cameras, they just moved to Dallas. Cheap rent and a tragic past. Abe was home. So... I don't know if that's sufficiently spooky for a Halloween fanfiction, but uh, that's what we got. This is, uh, I went to wattpad.com slash story slash spooky and apartment 239 was just one of the top stories there. So um, this is a good place to call it quits for now, folks. And uh, I hope that you've had a spooky Halloween morning, perhaps night. I guess if you live in Perth, then it's probably after midnight, in fact. But uh, for the rest of you North American folks, or even European folks, have a good time.